Church, my name is Anna, and I'll be doing the Old Testament reading. It's going to be Isaiah 24, from verse 1 to 13, and to be found on page 571 of the Church Bibles. Just before this, in chapters 13 to 23 of Isaiah, there were prophecies of judgment against a list of foreign nations in Isaiah's time, such as Assyria, Babylon, Moab, Egypt, and so on. And in the next few chapters, starting at chapter 24, Isaiah tells us that God's judgment doesn't just affect a few nations, it affects the whole earth. So let's begin. Isaiah 24, beginning at verse 1. See, the Lord is going to lay waste the earth and devastate it. He will ruin its face and scatter its inhabitants. It will be the same for the priest as for people, for the master as for his servant, for the mistress as for her servant, for seller as for buyer, for borrower as for lender, for debtor as for creditor. The earth will be completely laid waste and totally plundered. The Lord has spoken this word. The earth dries up and withers, the world languishes and withers, the heavens languish with the earth. The earth is defiled by its people, they have disobeyed the laws, violated the statutes and broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore a curse consumes the earth, its people must bear their guilt. Therefore earth's inhabitants are burned up and very few are left. The new wine dries up and the vine withers. All the merrymakers groan. The joyful timbrels are stilled. The noise of the revellers has stopped. The joyful harp is silent. No longer do they drink wine with a song. The beer is bitter to its drinkers. The ruined city lies desolate. The entrance to every house is barred. In the streets they cry out for wine. All joy turns to gloom. All joyful sounds are banished from the earth. The city is left in ruins. Its gate is battered to pieces. So will it be on the earth and among the nations, as when an olive tree is beaten, or as when gleanings are left after the grape harvest. Morning, church. I'm Natasha, for those who haven't met me yet. Um, and today's second Bible reading comes from Acts and is split into two parts. Um, so the first reading is from Acts 6, um, verses 8 to 15, and that's found on page 887 of your Blue Church Bibles. So Acts chapter 6, starting from verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the, members, uh, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom of the Spirit, um, Oh, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses 
who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against his holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Um, The second reading is from chapter 7, verses 54 to 60, and that's found on page 889. Oh, where is it? Sorry. Okay, all right, so starting from verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, They were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and, yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Please keep your Bibles open there. And uh, there's an outline in the middle of uh, in your service sheets. And uh, we can actually have a look at that, whether you're following on the sermon outline or not. We can actually look at the, the uh, something that's right on the bottom of those service sheets right at the end of this talk. So please keep that open or have it at hand. I'm going to pray to God and ask God to uh, help us to understand the Bible. Heavenly Father, thank you again that you've given to us the Bible so that we can know you. And uh, we can know your plans and purposes. And we ask now uh, that as we look at this part of the book of Acts, that by your spirit, you would teach us, that you would keep us in the truth of your word. And we pray that we might be encouraged uh, in our faith and encouraged to keep preaching Jesus. And this we ask in his name. Amen. Now, when I build a sandcastle, when my kids were younger, when I build a sandcastle, I really build a sandcastle. I don't build those kind of toy bucket-sized, you couldn't even call it a castle, those toy bucket-sized little things that most fathers do for their kids. No, 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 no. When I build a sandcastle, I really build a sandcastle. I put the one there with the kids just for perspective on the size of my sandcastles. You know, what's a bucket that you turn upside down? That's not a castle. This is a castle. This is what... Real manly fathers do for their kids. I challenge you, dads. You can fit three kids in there. But the important thing about my sandcastles is not just the size. It is the engineering. 
Let me just show you this one because this one shows it the best. This is a side view. Has this got a little laser thing? Oh, yeah. So you can see here, this is the, this is the uh, ramp in to the sandcastle because I don't want you to ruin, I don't want the kids to ruin my walls. So they walk in here in the ramp and they spend their time here. But what I want you to see is the engineering here. So firstly, you have a trench. This was done years ago, but you see how small the kids are. Firstly, this is a trench, all right? And then there's the outer wall here, and then there's another trench here, and then there's the inner wall. And you can see how thick they are. Now, why have I got the trenches and the outer wall and the inner trench and then the inner wall? Sorry? Moat? Yeah, it's like a moat. Why do I have it there? Well, I build it like that. No, 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 no. I engineer it like that to stop the waves, to stop the waves getting in. You see, firstly, oops, oh, no, press the wrong button. Firstly, they've got, oh. Firstly, they've got to get past the outer trench. And then they've got to get past the outer wall. And then they've got to get past the inner trench. And then they've got to get past the inner solid walls down hard. That, fathers, is how you build a sandcastle for your children. And that's not even the biggest one I built. Now, guess what happens when the tide comes up and the waves come up? And guess what happens, can't you? No matter what I have tried to do, no matter the trenches and the walls that I have built, no matter when the waves come up and I get that little kitty spades and I try to beat the waves back, even when I try to lie down in front of my castle, you know what happens when the waves come up, don't you? When the waves come up, the sandcastle goes. It does not matter what I do. You cannot stop the waves from breaking through. Nothing can stop the waves because there are some things you understand in this world that you cannot stop. Waves are one when it comes to your sandcastle. God is another. You cannot stop him. Throughout history, there have been many, many attempts to stop God and to hinder his plans and purposes and, in fact, to hinder the work of the gospel. And what I want to show you today is that God's plan for the gospel cannot be thwarted. That, that is, it cannot be halted. It cannot be stopped, no matter what. Some have even tried to kill it. But you cannot do that. Let me remind you of what God's plan in the book of Acts is. And uh, I think you've been looking at this. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's the best picture I can do. That is my best picture ever on PowerPoint. The gospel 
uh, the, the, the witness of the apostles, the gospel, will go out into Jerusalem, the city that they're in. And then it will go into all Judea and Samaria. And then the gospel will go to the ends of the earth, into the whole world. That is God's plan for the message of Jesus. That is God's plan in the book of Acts. And so far, what we've been seeing in the book of Acts is the gospel going out into Jerusalem. So how in these chapters, chapters 6 and 7 of Acts, do we see this idea that God's plan for the gospel cannot be thwarted? Now, if you come back to uh, the Bible reading, Acts chapter 6, the second reading, in the first part of chapter 6 that we didn't read, uh, we're introduced to this character called Stephen, who was one of the people selected uh, to help the apostles by distributing food to the poor. But he was doing more than just distributing food to the poor. In verse 8 of chapter 6, look at that, chapter 6 and verse 8, we can see that he was doing signs and wonders among the people. But he wasn't just doing signs and wonders, he was also speaking to them. Verse 10, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. And so as we read in the uh, verses 9 to 15, uh, what Stephen was doing was speaking to the Jews about Jesus. And some Jews who were opposing him couldn't match his arguments. And so there was a plot to bring fake charges against him. And those fake charges were of him speaking against the Jewish religion and speaking against God uh, and the temple, actually. And so he's brought before the Jewish religious leaders with these fake charges. And uh, we read about them in the Bible reading. And in chapter 7, verse 1, he's asked by the council, or the high priest who's part of the council, he's asked by the high priest, chapter 7, verse 1, are these charges true? So that's what we're going to look at in chapter 7. Are these charges true? Chapter 7 is how he responds to these charges, these false charges, and then what happens to him. Now, we're not going to read all of chapter 7 because chapter 7 is very, very long. But his reply in chapter 7, and you'll have to read a lot of it later, but his reply is basically, he says to the Jewish council, to the Jewish leaders, you guys are just like your ancestors. You are always going against God's word. You are always acting against his plans. You're always trying to thwart the purposes of God. And what he does is he goes back over Old Testament history and gives examples of this, but he shows that they can never stop God or they could never stop God. Now, I'm just going to go over it briefly. He begins with Abraham in chapter 7, verse 2. Uh, and this is verses 2 to 8. Abraham was the founder of the Jewish race of Israel, God's Old Testament chosen people. 
And God's big plan, actually, to save the world began with Abraham. Uh, And in those verses, you'll read that uh, Stephen recaps briefly the story of Abraham and how he was told to leave his home and country and go to the land that God would show him. And then he notes that uh, Abraham became the father of Isaac, Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons. And the families and the descendants of those 12 sons would become the 12 tribes of Israel. That's God's plan. Israel, 12 tribes. That brings us to the next section in chapter 7, verse 9. And here he reminds them of the story of how 11 of the sons were jealous of one particular son, Joseph. And so the 11 brothers sold him off as a slave uh, to Egypt. And again here, God's Old Testament people, 11 of the sons at this point, were going against God's purposes of a nation of 12 tribes by getting rid of one of them. But verse 9 and verse 10 of chapter 7 says, if you look at that, verse 9, verse 10, it says, second half of verse 9, but God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. And what happened was Joseph eventually became very high up, a very high official in Egypt. And then as the chapter continues, Stephen continues with the story uh, of, uh, of Joseph in Egypt. There was a famine. And Egypt had stored up food. So during the famine, Egypt had food. Uh, And so through Joseph, God rescues the rest of his family, that is the 11 brothers and 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 the whole family, because they had come to Egypt for food. And so even though the 11 brothers' actions could have thwarted God's plan, God was in control. And his purposes could not be halted. And then in verse 20, he moves on to talk about Moses. They're still in Egypt. You can read about Moses in the book of Exodus. And uh, what Stephen says is that basically God had raised up Moses to rescue his people out of slavery in Egypt because the 12 tribes, Israel, the Jewish nation, Uh, had become slaves by this time in Egypt. Now, this was not God's plan. Well, it was his plan, but that was not where the plan was supposed to end. It wasn't supposed to end with his people being slaves in Egypt. Moses, God had appointed Moses to lead his people out of Egypt and out of slavery and into the land that God had promised them. However, God's people rejected Moses. And so if you look at verse 25 of chapter 7, verse 25, look at that. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. However, even though the people didn't recognize that God had raised him up to rescue them, God's plan could not be thwarted by his people and God uses Moses anyway to save his people from slavery in Egypt and many of you know the story but read it in Exodus if you don't 
be that as it may, look what happens. Verse 39, chapter 7, verse 39. But our ancestors, speaking about the Jewish ancestors, refused to obey him, that is Moses. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. So Moses had led them out. God's people started whinging and moaning and turning against God. And their hearts, instead of continuing to trust in God, turned back to Egypt. Once again, the history of God's people is they are rejecting the one whom God sent to save and rescue them. That brings us to verse 44 to 50. There he recounts how the Israelites eventually did go into the land that God had promised Abraham and how they eventually, under King Solomon, who is the son of King David, built God's temple. Now, the accusation against Stephen, the false accusation against Stephen, back in chapter 6, verse 13 to 14, is that Stephen is speaking against the temple of God. Now, you've got to understand, in New Testament times, the Jewish people, they love the temple. The temple was their place. It was the center of their belief. And as far as they were concerned, that is where God lived. And it was at the temple that they were closest to God. The problem with this was that not only did they have a small and wrong view of God and where he was, they had a wrong view that he was just there in the building. And not only that, not only did they think, oh, God's just here in the building, what they did was they rejected the one who came and replaced the need for the building, replaced the need for the temple. And that, of course, was the Lord Jesus. It is through Jesus, actually, that they can come close to God. But they rejected Jesus. And it's to this attitude that Stephen smacks them in their head. Now, come and look at, come with me and look at verse 48. And we'll look a bit more closely at the text now. Verse 48. However, this is Stephen speaking to the Jewish leaders and the Jewish council there. However, the Most High God does not live in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool, God speaking. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? Verse 51, you stiff-necked people. This is Stephen speaking to the Jewish leaders. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. It's a great passage. I love it. He says, verse 51, you stiff-necked, people 
not the way to win friends and influence people, let me tell you. Being, calling them stiff-necked people is kind of like saying to them, you stubborn, dumb donkeys. Except it's probably a little bit harsher than that. See, Stephen just fires right back at them. He says, your ancestors, we can see right through history, your ancestors kept rejecting God. They kept persecuting the people that he sent. They even killed the people that God had sent to them, which he demonstrated, like I said, in chapter 7. And then he says to these Jewish leaders in front of him, and you are doing exactly the same thing. In fact, you actually killed the one your own prophets have talked about. You killed the one that God had ultimately sent to rescue. You betrayed and killed Jesus. In other words, not only, not only are you no different from your ancestors, actually you're worse. He says you always resist the Holy Spirit. That is, you're resisting what God is doing. You oppose his plan. And you are seeking to thwart his purposes. This is what has always happened throughout your history and that is what is happening now. And like I said, there's not the way to win friends and influence people because look what happens next. Verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. I think it's a bit funny, that phrase, gnash their teeth, when you're really angry at someone. Not the first thing I'd do if I was really angry at someone, go, doesn't have the same ring as yelling at someone. Well, that's what they did. It just means they were really, really very angry. And uh, as we see in the uh, next few verses that were read for us, Uh, In 55 and 56, Stephen looks up and he sees God and Jesus. So verse 55, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And then he said, verse 56, look, they're listening, okay, he's saying it to them, look. I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That is almost the worst thing you could possibly say to traditional Jews because for them no one can see God. And this guy Jesus who they killed, he certainly wouldn't be with God. And by saying this, Stephen, he's asking for it. And I tell you, they were angry at him before saying he, they killed Jesus. Now that he's saying, I can see God. I can see Jesus. That just sends them over the top. Look at verse 57. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. 
And when he had said this, he fell asleep. In other words, he died. And so, what's their response to Stephen? Saying, you killed Jesus, and I can see God and Jesus in heaven. They kill him. They kill him for it. They stone him to death. And, you know, when you read about Stephen's death in those verses, it's kind of a bit like Jesus' death, isn't it? Not so much in the mode of execution, but in the way he dies, his death. I don't know if you noticed that. As he prays for Jesus to receive his spirit, it reminds us of how Jesus gave up his spirit at his death, which the Gospels say. And as Stephen says, do not hold this against them uh, concerning those who have stoned him, it almost echoes Jesus when Jesus prays to God from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing concerning those who crucified him. And in the way he, Stephen dies his death, it's almost as if he is a reminder to these people of what they did to Jesus. And it certainly is another case of God's Old Testament people going against God's purpose. And in fact, this whole episode of Stephen preaching and getting stoned begins a threat. It begins a threat to God's plan of the gospel going out to Jerusalem, to all Judea, and to the ends of the earth. You see, what we're seeing in Stephen now is the preacher of the gospel is being killed. And who knows, there may be more to come. And we're also introduced at, uh, in the end of chapter 7 to a character called Saul who begins the persecution of Christians. Look at chapter 8, verse 1 with me. And Saul approved of their killing him, of Stephen. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout, listen carefully, were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. See, apart from Stephen being killed, Christians now, all Christians, any Christians are being persecuted. They're being rounded up and thrown into jail. Now, how can Christians preach about Jesus if they are being killed and if they are being locked up? And furthermore, because of this, other Christians are just getting out of Jerusalem. They're just fleeing Jerusalem to escape this persecution. And as verse, 20, uh, as verse 1 says... 
They are scattered throughout all Judea and Samaria. And so the Christians who were all together in Jerusalem now, now they're scattered, now they're apart, now they're being persecuted. And you'd think it would be all over for them because you'd probably go into hiding. You can imagine and you could understand if they went into hiding. And so all Christians go into hiding. What about God's plan? What's going to happen to that? Well, let's see what happens to that plan. What is the result of the first Christian death and the persecution against the church and the persecution against Christians? What's the result? Chapter 8, verse 4. Look at that. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. See, where were they scattered? They were scattered all over Judea and Samaria. And what did they do when they were scattered? They preached the word. Wherever they went, all Judea and Samaria, they preached the word. You see what's happening here? God's plan which he outlined for us in chapter 1, verse 8, is now being fulfilled. That is what is happening. Because even though they are being dispersed now across Judea and Samaria, they do not keep their mouth, mouths shut. They do not go into hiding wherever they went. They spoke of Jesus and what he had done, and how people can have the forgiveness of sins and eternal life through faith in him. And we'll see stories of this uh, as we continue to go through Acts. And so even, the, even though the Jews here have done what their, it's the Jewish leaders, have done what their ancestors have done and acted against God and acted against his purposes, God cannot be thwarted. In fact, God uses the persecution to carry out his plan. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, God, you see, will not be stopped. And what we're seeing here in today's passage is that persecution, imprisonment, physical harm, even Stephen's death cannot contain God nor prevent God achieving his gospel purposes, his plan of seeing the message of Jesus going to all Judea and Samaria and indeed eventually to the ends of the earth. That's what these chapters are about. That's why they're here in the book of Acts. And we would do well to remember this ourselves. Nothing, nothing, can thwart the gospel and God's plans for the gospel. Not governments, not enemies, not atheists, not even evil can stop God. You know, there's a lot of talk now about how, how we Christians here in Australia are being persecuted. 
Now, I think that's a very strong word for people calling us names, but whatever. Think of things like, you know, when the same-sex marriage debate was around and the kinds of things people were saying about Christians, the kinds of things politicians were saying about Christians, the kind of things media were saying about Christians. And, you know, I got some pretty nasty emails from people I didn't even know calling me all sorts of things. You know what it's like just going out there in the place of your uh, work or amongst relatives that don't know Jesus or at the school gate or whatever it is, when you just say out there in the marketplace of ideas, Jesus is the only way to God. You know what people are going to say to you, don't you? But understand whatever happens... Whatever people do, whatever people say to us, it will not and cannot thwart the work of the gospel. You know, it is no surprise now that, for example, that same-sex marriage has been made legal, that there is now a domino effect for anti-discrimination laws and religious freedom laws. That's all up for grabs now. Even though they promised, no, it won't. The day after same-sex marriage came in, they're challenging our religious freedom. Who you can and can't do business with. Who you can and can't hire in your church or your Christian schools, for goodness sake. They're just examples. What you can or cannot teach. Your children or what you can on cannot teach in schools. There is a massive push now to get scripture, school scripture, out of our schools, or at least to restrict what our scripture teachers can teach to children. But what if they do? What if they remove scripture from schools? What if our religious freedoms are restricted? What if they're taken away completely? What if the media continues to silence us as Christians? What if they continue to misrepresent us because, quite frankly, that's all they do? What if we, are keep, we continue to be shouted down when we just try to say to people what the Bible says? Are we worried that the gospel will be thwarted? This passage tells us, friends, no, it will not. We may be inconvenienced, but the gospel will not be thwarted. God, friends, is in control. He has a game plan if any of that were to happen. And he's already told us what the game plan is. And you know what the game plan is? The game plan is you. And the game plan is me. God says to ask his people, speak about Jesus and continue to speak about Jesus. In Matthew 28, he says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. That's a command ultimately for all Christians. And to make disciples, we need to take the message of Jesus out there to preach Christ and him crucified. That's God's plan. All Christian people spreading the message of mercy and grace in Jesus everywhere they are. 
back then, those in Judea and Samaria, and us now in the ends of the earth. That's why nothing will thwart the work of the gospel. No matter what, no matter where, no matter the circumstances, you and I can share Jesus. We're seeing today, actually, persecution causes the spread of the gospel, and we're seeing that throughout Christian history. And let me just uh, tell you quite frankly and honestly, attempts to stop the gospel, attempts to stop Christians speaking about Jesus will continue to be there. They will always be there. They will probably become more aggressive. And we should expect that because that's Satan's job to put roadblocks in front of Christians, to put roadblocks to the message of the gospel going out. But do you realize something? The only time the gospel is hindered is when God's people don't share it. That's the only time it's hindered. It's not because of these external attacks on us. It's not because of internal attacks on us. It's because of Christian gospel silence. That's the only time it's thwarted. And so we must keep asking ourselves, mustn't we, do you speak up for the gospel? Do you speak up for Jesus? When people were talking about same-sex marriage or when people bag out Jesus or say, well, Jesus is not the only way or whatever, do we go silent? See, it doesn't matter what the world does by way of law or if people abuse us or if social engineering seeks to muzzle us. Fact is, we can always speak. And we've got something worth saying. The message of forgiveness and life. We have a glorious gospel to proclaim, and we can do it any time and any place. Nothing can muzzle that except you and I. All we have to do is say nothing. Now, sure, we still want to fight the wrongs and the injustices in, the, in our current social and political uh, moment. But whatever happens should not concern us as far as God's gospel plan is concerned because you and I are that plan. As long as we are here, as long as we have a voice, we can and must use it because nothing can stop the wave of gospel voices. Anything in God's path are just sandcastles. So stick to God's plan. Keep speaking about Jesus and the gospel will go out to the ends of of the earth. Do you remember the summary statement of the book of Acts, which is on the bottom of your bulletin? Have a look at that. What is this about, this book? It is about the unstoppable mission of the risen Lord Jesus to take salvation to the ends of the earth through his spirit-empowered 
messengers. You and I are those messengers. Let's pray. Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the privilege of being able not just to know you through the gospel, but to be able to share it with others. And Father, we ask now that by your spirit, you would enable us to keep speaking Jesus and telling others of his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins and life eternal. Please make us bold. Please make us courageous. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.